Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. From Nice Sky Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. One of the things I really enjoy doing on the podcast is celebrating key anniversaries of landmark movies within the horror genre. Horror history is long and convoluted and well worth calling attention to, and we love having creators join in and take a journey back to remember and relive the roots of favorite films and television. This time around, it's to observe the 30th anniversary of a sequel, not only a sequel, but a second sequel to a true classic that has itself earned classic status. In 1981, a scrappy little independent horror film with a wild eccentric personality of its own with cinematic style to burn would have a huge effect on genre movies of the 80s and beyond. The Evil Dead was the first of its kind, making the camera as important a cast member as the actors were. A creative triumvirate of filmmakers, director Sam Raimi, producer Rob Tappert, and producer and star Bruce Campbell made a powerful, triumphant film that, when offered help by a review that Stephen King wrote in Twilight Zone magazine, took the world by storm. Evil Dead 2 expanded on the groundwork laid by its predecessor, adding more humor and more convoluted gags in all senses of the word. But Army of Darkness, the third installment in the Evil Dead trilogy, completely reinvented what could qualify for an Evil Dead movie. It's much more complex. It's a studio film with a tremendous period scope, a giant cast, and it's absolutely hilarious. Not a minute goes by without something hysterical happening on the screen. Campbell, Ramey, and Tappert are still a team and continue to create amazing entertainment together and apart. But for now, we are here to celebrate the history of Army of Darkness, its past, its present, and its future. Bruce Campbell and Rob Tappert are with us on the slab today, and we'll dig into the world and origins of the Evil Dead after this. This episode is sponsored by Children of the Corn, a new vision of horror from RLJE Films based upon the short story by Stephen King. Possessed by a spirit in a dying cornfield, a 12-year-old girl in Nebraska recruits other children in her small town to go on a bloody rampage and kill all the adults and anyone else who opposes her. Soon, a bright high school student who won't go along with the plan becomes the town's only hope for survival. Children of the Corn is in theaters on March 3rd and on demand and digital on March 21st. Welcome to Postmortem, guys. It's so great to see you and have you on board to talk about this truly landmark movie. <laughs> uh, I, did, I have to laugh. My wife and I, my wife Ida was the costume designer in Army of Darkness, and uh, I think we both still have PTSD from that movie. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's and, and, and I love people coming up. And Bruce, Bruce, my favorite movie. Oh, it's my favorite movie. I'm like, I'm so glad for you. I really... I really am glad that you like that, that, 
you know, I don't, there's no other shoot that I can, I have in my, in my little oeuvre, there's no other shoot that I could compare it to, uh, both in, in the way that we could ply our trade and the way that we, we tried to get as much freedom as we could, but also it was, it was basically, um, kind of a never ending nightmare of a shoot. Rob, maybe I have, have dark colored glasses on, but I don't know. I mean, I'm glad people like it. I really am. Yeah, well, it was a it was a long, uh, challenging shoot. Uh, went over budget, cost us a lot. I think um, Dino De Laurentiis, who we were working for at the time, was surprised how fast we shot through all the money, and we were working <laughs> out of our own pockets. And um, so, um, uh, and it led to the fact that the production went long, over budget, and it led to a very interesting Hollywood fight that kind of got us trapped between Dino De Laurentiis and Tom Pollock, who was the head of Universal at that time. Dino was making the movie. Um, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. And yeah, Tom Pollock and uh, at Universal took domestic on the picture and Dino asked him to pay for some of the overages and then a, a fight ensued. And I don't know the real truth which is universal would not take delivery of the movie for a whole host of reasons and they demanded the character of hannibal lecter that they would control some piece of that or that he would give that in return and suddenly the movie was just stalled for what maybe 18 months bruce right oh yeah it was dead in the water and i remember you know my recollection was that it was something about the rights to the sequel which Dino owned. Tom Pollock said, "Hey, okay, Dino, let's do that movie now." Or I, I think Dino they had a misunderstanding of you promised me this, no, you didn't. And then arguing about something else, they tried to you know punish punish Dino by making us you know deliver a, a movie early. So yeah, it yeah. was we got caught. We got definitely squeezed in the middle, which is why you know I was laughing with uh, Mick. The dates are always wrong. With the movie, they always go Army of Darkness, nineteen ninety three. No, no, we shot it in ninety one. Well, let's <laughs> you know. celebrate its release because that's when yeah. everybody was able to appreciate. Yeah, it. absolutely. Now, I, I just, I just saw it again for the first time since it came out this morning, and my God, this movie! And I just a few nights ago, I watched William Friedkin's Sorcerer. These are two movies that I look at and say. I could never have made these movies. These are impossible to make movies. And it seems to illustrate one of Sam's favorite themes is torturing Bruce Campbell. Well, look, we, we felt up for it. You know, we made the first two movies. Um, I think the sequel, Rob, we were hoping to be the 1300 where he, we get yes. there sooner, you know, and it was, it was like the medieval dead was what we were thinking about it but then which is a great reason, title yeah yeah so then that didn't happen for whatever reason so uh we do the sequel then for this one i think the idea was um we had always one of our films i know sam mentioned it a bunch was the vikings the you know the kirk douglas movie and had such classic battle scenes and i i think this was our version of the vikings we're like okay you know i was about uh, you know, peak fighting powers in 1991. I was I was ready to go. Uh, I think we we're all at the height of our powers. We were ready to ready. We thought we were ready to take it on, and that 
we can put Ash from these small little movies into this kind of time traveling epic. And it's the results are weird. Like if you really like horror, start with Evil Dead and go forward. And if you don't like horror, start with Army of Darkness and go backwards. You know, that kind of because it's not some would argue Army of Darkness isn't even really a horror movie. I mean, you have talking skeletons. They talk like pirates. You know, it's not. And, you know, Mick, when we submitted it for a rating, because it was technically Evil Dead 3, the universe didn't want to call it anything. They, I don't think they wanted anything to do with the Evil Dead movies. We'll just call it Army of Darkness, you know, whatever. Uh, the ratings board went, oh, this is Evil Dead 3. Oh. We, we did not get a rating on part one. We did not get a rating on part two. And they went, oh, show us your movie, please. We're very interested. <laughs> We want that to punish movie, you. Yeah. Oh my God. That movie got an NC 17. And how? So, you know, this, you get to go tell us what to cut. Tell us what to cut. And they go, it was the cumulative effect. <laughs> oh, so we should cut the whole movie. You, you can't, can't cut it. I mean, so silly. Meanwhile, Scorsese releases Goodfellas the same year. The opening sequence of them torturing a guy who was bound against his will in the back of a, a car. Within the credits aren't even open yet, and it's the most violent sequence I've, I've ever witnessed. That's R-rated because it's, you know, realistic. Events. It's a Hollywood movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, it also shows you the power of when studios really get behind it. Uh, th this was a negative pickup, I think. Well, no, no, Universal financed it, but. Uh, Rob and I have made a couple of horror movies of the Evil Dead movies since. And when a studio is behind it, they, you know, Karen calls Joe, says, hey, I got a movie, I'm sending it over. Where do you want to have lunch today? I don't know, somewhere. Okay, give that an R. It's just, it's way easier when you have the backing of that. As the little, little indies, they remembered it though. So we had trouble getting an R. I'm not even sure what we cut, honestly. I, it, what would you cut? Just dumb. I look at the PG thirteen movie. Is the truth? I watched it, which um, uh, eight or nine days ago, just to refresh myself. And <laughs> what shocked me was, it's an endless series of one liners. So <laughs> it, it's There's really lot, yeah. just just quote after quote and joke after joke. And um, yeah. uh, I hear <laughs> Sam and Ivan giggling in the background <laughs> through all of. The all of the uh, the one-liners in this because um oh, yeah. i had yeah. forgotten that and uh well, so well, Ash started as kind of a meek mild-mannered guy uh, i think the way sam wanted it the character scotty in the first one was more capable hey i'll go check this out don't worry about it he gets killed so now they go ah shit we're stuck with this guy <laughs> part two he's sort of like a vietnam veteran he's been around a little bit he's not a trash talker but he's like hey uh, don't go in there. That's that's like a really bad idea. By part three, I think Sam just was like, nah, he's the ugly American. He's the, you know, uh, Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. This guy is a primitive savage. You know? <laughs> and he thinks they're he thinks they're primitives. They think he's an asshole. I mean, uh, it's fun to play those characters. I'm glad that we weren't trying to win any popularity awards because Ash, <laughs> Ash comes back. A great example. Ash comes back from riding. He tried to get the book. He screwed it up. He said the wrong words. And he just does. He just wants it to be over with. Send me back. Okay, I did it. He comes riding into town, gets off his horse, and 
they're patting him on the back. He goes, yeah, 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 thanks, right? Next guy, yeah, okay, come, yeah, yeah, whatever. Third guy, get the fuck out of my face. You know, he just, <laughs> he, he's over it. He's, he's over being the hero. And it's really fun to play uh, an anti, anti-hero. I'm not sure how many guys are out there with no skills, no training, no military background whatsoever. It, it's, we got a note when we did Ash versus Evil Dead, the TV show, we got a note from Stars that Ash was mishandling his shotgun because he was waving it <laughs> all over the place in front of people's faces. And we're like, that's not a valid note. Ash doesn't know that. That's kind you know, of the point. No yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, you know, he shoves it like Jimmy Cagney when he shoots the shotgun, you know, he, <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all fake, you know? So I don't know. It, it is fun. That was a fun character to play and to revisit. And we kind of killed the franchise that um, <laughs> took DVDs many years later that have sort of opened up, you know, how the sausage was made to rekindle some interest in it. But I think we effectively, not by any intention of ours, we, we kind of killed it for 25 years. It was dead. Well, that's, that's not a bad thing. You went out on a very high note for 25 <laughs> years and you came back. We went big. And I met, that was my, I starred in one studio motion picture and never starred in another studio motion picture it was army of darkness so i got that's one right. I got that's one. okay i directed one studio movie in yeah. <laughs> and everything else has been independent or television or whatever yeah congratulations <laughs> now bruce your dad was also an actor in community theater and the like in he Michigan. Was. so is that what inspired you to go into this yeah it was a whole connection of things uh sam met rob uh, once college came around up at Michigan State. But you guys I went to Sam. high school together, you and Sam, right? Yeah, I saw Sam first in eighth grade. He was dressed like Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> sitting in the middle of the hallway playing with dolls. And I i mean, that was an image I can't get out of my head. I walked way around him. Years later, he goes, oh, I was making a movie. I was making a movie. And I'm like, no, there was no camera anywhere. He just liked to dress like Sherlock Holmes. I dropped typing in high school because uh, it was the most boring class I've, I'd ever taken. I said, what else you got? She goes, radio speech. Great. You could play music, be a DJ, morning announcements. And Sam was in that class. So we started to do the morning announcements. And then, oh, he made these silly movies in his backyard. And me and some other guys did stuff. So we would combine forces and equipment. And we started cranking these things out into high school. We probably did. I just sent the guys a a link to a digital. We have 50 of these old movies that are re poorly transferred, I might add, but <laughs> they've been preserved. And uh, we were we were pretty industrious. And then Sam goes off to college, meets Rob. And I think Rob was transitioning at that point. And I think took an interest in this crazy thing we were doing of filmmaking and, and helped concoct because Rob was the only guy who thought, we got to get a lawyer. We got to raise money if we're going to do this. And so that's how the three of us got together uh, with Rob's family lawyer who kept Rob out of trouble for years. Uh, <laughs> Rob, put a piece you, of paper together, you know, Rob, so we, you, we live by that, that original document to this day. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Rob, you were Ivan's roommate at Michigan yeah. State, right? Yes. Um, he was my hallmate when uh, freshman and sophomore year. And then we were housemates, uh, year three and four and then Sam came up to school and um yeah Sam and I got an apartment together in his sophomore year and I had actually graduated and was in grad school 
Sam made a movie um, in the summer called it, It's Murder, Bruce was part of. He needed help getting it together. And I had to skip a midterm in order to help Sam do sound on his movie. And um, the course was set for um, having to pursue a film career after that. So, but now Rob left out the most important part. Rob and Sam did a massive box office Bafo movie called The Happy Valley Kid. Yeah. Um, Rob starred in it. And this is a story you could not tell today, specifically since something just happened at MSU. A picked on student by everybody. Girlfriend dumps him. Guys dropping water balloons on him. His professors belittle him. Goes crazy. Turns into his alter ego, the rawhide kid, his favorite comic book. And he just takes care of business. Wow. And it is actually, in my opinion, an incredible movie with it. It hits all the notes and sort of goes into this crazy fantasy at the end. I think Rob cost 700, made like 5,000 some odd dollars. Yeah. Then it's murder was the follow. And this is showing one print in one auditorium. So, but the word got out. It's this movie made on school. The actual professors were in the movie. You can see your actual professor get blown away. You know, everyone cheered. They all cheered when that happened. So I think Sam went, I'm going to do the biggest Super 8 movie ever, which was this movie called It's Murder. Big comedy. He had to get special equipment, like an extendo reel, to hold more film. Because Super 8 movies shouldn't be like an hour and a half long. It's, <laughs> it's not practical. Yeah. So that was the next big movie to show at MSU. It bombed. He got halfway through. The one guy stood up and goes, I'm good. You know, I'm out of here. And Sam had to decide whether to play it forward or backwards because he was, he was about halfway through to be done with it. But a good good lesson of all three of us at that point, we're starting to take this stuff more seriously. It was an epic failed production, but it doesn't matter. We, we It taught us more and more about filmmaking. And at that point, I think the three of us were like, okay, let's make, let's make an act, a real movie. So the first evil that obviously is its own odyssey. Uh, it did make money, um, which caused the second one. We were in profit. Rob marched onto the set of the Evil Dead 2 and said, hey, we haven't shot a foot, but we're already in profit. Okay, <laughs> great. It was a very good shoot. Part two was very, very rational shoot. We we didn't really go over budget. We got a fair amount of, um, of freedom, creative freedoms. And I think it did okay. They're basically yeah. fine. And then Army Darkness, we thought, I guess would be the next logical step. First movie was like about, you know, 400,000. The, the second one was about three and a half million. So the third one, sure, $8 million. You know, let's, let's go. And then it didn't wind up at that. I think it wound up more like 13 when we were done. 13, yeah. That's yeah, a and overage, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big overage. All of our sort of back end kind of disappeared uh, in front of our eyes. Um, so it was, it was a, uh, it certainly really was an odyssey. We was we started we started with six weeks of filming nights, which is, you know, McKnight shooting is just kind of a drag anyway. We, that's oh, how we started, uh, you know, uh, six weeks of battle. It was all just battle footage, catapults and horses and uh, the weird weird trivia. We're shooting out in the desert outside of Los Angeles. On the Pulsa Rosa Ranch, Tippi Hedren, the actress, had a lion sanctuary not far away, and we had a bunch of horses. And the yeah, horses where they made roar, was right there. Oh, 
on the horses going, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and they, they're like, where do I, I don't even know where to run. <laughs> so just, you know, weird things. And it also, you're in the desert with these freight trains that go one mile an hour for 10 hours, yeah. Yeah. screeching along the track, echoing into the canyons. So sure, shoot the desert. It's quiet. <laughs> it's, it's great peaceful. for sound. And it's it sound. was June. It was the shortest nights of the year. So now we've got hundreds, <laughs> exactly. yeah, hundreds of extras, a lunch <laughs> that we had to put on that took forever. And it just, if you watch the movie and I noticed it, that's endless amount of what we say, the blue gels where the sun's almost up and you're trying to say it's yeah, still- Yeah, you're getting your last desperate shots of the day <laughs> yeah. before the sun peaks over the mountains. Well, we well, had- No, go ahead, Bruce. Well, we just had, you know, uh, Rob was talking about a bunch of extras and we had a bunch of extras in rubber suits and it got so dark, they could go AWOL. We, we a couple of weeks, they found one couple having sex uh, inside the castle They in their, <laughs> in their skeleton outfits. I, you know, they were boning each other was our joke, you know, later. <laughs> but just, and, and people were falling into trenches and ditches because they dug... You'll appreciate this. The foreground was like puppeted puppeteers with the guys in ditches and to get the height and to puppet the skeletons. Then the next background was rubber suits on horses. And then, you know, they got cheesier the far further back you went. But everything was complicated, you know, and, and, you know, Sam, God bless him. He goes, you set up a shot. Sam says to the prop guy, how many of those pikes you got with the flags? I don't know, 30 of them. Get, bring, bring them here. Get them, bring them here. Hey, armor, how many shields you got? I don't know, 10. We get up. He would find out whatever was available and he'd have it poking into the edge of each shot. And he's he's going up to, to meet Evil Ash and his, you know, his evil bride. And you're just going through, you know, whatever flags he had available that day, you know, to do it. So he was pretty good about it. he would build shots as he went. And we sadly we disappointed him often. You know, Rob, he, he wanted, there was a big fight scene of two stunt guys up the staircase. And he wanted a Fred Astaire master. No cuts. Fighting, just spinning, kicking guys, flipping guys. And it's this big crane shot up this set of stairs to this landing, this set of stairs to that landing. Holy shit. I mean, it's not like we didn't try. Right? So, I mean, that's what a typical day of shooting was. And then, and Sam, he's on the, the big speaker. Well, cut. Obviously, that's not going to work. <laughs> so he, I'm going to break this sequence up into a thousand little pieces. So he, that was our punishment now because we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't do it. Well, it you know. is so complex, Rob. What was the difference? <laughs> you know, Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two are ambitious but contained. This mm. is ambitious without containment. What was the difference between the independence of these two smaller films and then working with Dino De Laurentiis, working with Universal, having partners who aren't used to um, uncontained madness? You know, the truth of the matter is, is Dino gave us more than enough rope on Army of Darkness to hang ourselves, which we did. And <laughs> he, they really, he came out to the set once or twice, I think. And that was it, because um, up in Acton, never came by Intervision, where we were camped out for a long time over in um, West Hollywood. So um, in terms of studio interference, there wasn't any. Um, what had happened was Sam had made Darkman 
before Army of Darkness, and he had gotten a taste of what money can buy. So he had less money on Army of Darkness than he had to make Darkman. And Sam just wasn't going to take no for an answer. So um, um, on the other two movies, we were contained and small and didn't have to deal with the outside world on Army of, on Army of Darkness. We had, you know, the unions trying to organize and picketing outside the um, uh, entrance to where we were shooting, uh, just endless amounts of um, outside noise and interference of um, trying to get extras, trying to figure out who's an extra and who's a stuntman, something that um, <laughs> took another, uh, took Screen Actors Guild came in with some complaints, probably took another 18 months after that to um, determine Okay, all those people were actually uh, re, re, rec, uh, recreationist and uh, wow. not doing stunts. Uh -huh. So it was um, it was an interesting effort in how to make a big movie with not enough money. So, oh, Rob, you and I and Sam first met when I was the writer on the fly too, and Sam was going to direct. They wanted. Sam yes. to direct fly to, and you would have been involved in that. The ideas that Sam and his brother, Dr. Ivan had were insane, which is what you want from Sam Raimi. But I remember the meetings with the studio executives and everybody uh, listening to, to Sam's ideas. And Rob, you were very quiet and just nodding along as Sam was standing up and just announcing these outrageous ideas that involved little people, uh, ideas that basically happened later in Army of Darkness in some cases, yeah. like, you know, the fly too, there'd be little miniature Seth Brundles running around and uh, instead of miniature ashes running around. So a lot of the ideas got recycled. But well, Sam was, needs to make Doctor Strange movies because we could never afford Sam. We could, we, <laughs> we could never give him really all the ridiculous that, that he wanted. And obviously as producers, we gave you know as much as we possibly could as shooting days and equipment and all that. Um, we did a shot that got cut out of Army of Darkness and it just lets you know, nobody was spared on this movie. So there's a focus puller named Hamid. This guy was great. So we got, a, we got a shot, it's in the cabin, it's in a set, it was ash. I had to hit 12, 12 different marks during the course of this sort of 360, whip pan back, I step into frame, extreme close up, tracks behind me, hear a noise. I mean, it was one of the, it just went, went on for like a, an hour and a half. That's why we cut it out. But, <laughs> and it ended on an extreme close up of my ear, in this bloody ear and cut. And I look, I look next to the camera and I see Hamid. And it was, his hand was on the knob and he was, he was trembling because <laughs> he had never, he goes, I, I've been doing this for like 10 years and I've learned a lot of tricks, but I've had to use them all on just this one goddamn movie. I mean, he was pouring sweat. I'm like, oh, good, 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 poor fucker. Just you know, this one shot, yeah. One shot. It was one shot. I mean, hey, you know, welcome to, you know, 103 days of that. Yeah, well, Ramyland really is a place where he invents how to use the tools of cinema. And, and it's, it's exhilarating and exciting. And it, what makes a Sam Raimi movie a Sam Raimi movie? But it's also obviously the planning and 
both of you as producers and Bruce, you as a performer contribute so much to this. How, what was the pre-production like, or was it one day at a time? Like we're gonna do this insane thing today. Uh, here's how we build up to it. Because this more than any other movie I can think of, especially independent size movie, eight to $13 million movie, is so jammed with production value and tricks and uh, things that had not been done before. Um, so you know I what just... helped on this movie, Mick, is we worked with a guy who was a storyboard artist. And this was the first time Sam really had that, something that he's embraced wholeheartedly, which is storyboards and then animatics. So a guy, Doug Leffler, and he was working for Intravision where we had gone to, say, how are we going to do some of these intricate tricks? And that was a company at the time that had a front screen projection uh, technology. Uh, this was before digital that allowed you to do certain certain gags. Um, through the I, camera uh, composition, through the camera. So yeah. dailies, you know, it's composite. Right. And so well, in camera, no green screen and that sort of no, thing. No, front yeah. screen to a silver screen yeah. with a right. four pin. Mitchell registration camera that made the most noise you've ever heard. <laughs> and you had to be in certain positions at a certain time to interact with the plate that you couldn't see behind you. You can only see it through the lens. It was a strange That's process. Right. So that was a very cumbersome process. But you know, that movie, um, there were storyboards for everything. And we were out in the desert in the middle of the night with big poster boards with the storyboards up there. And here's what we're gonna do in the first AG, John Cameron ticking things off as we went. So we were, we knew on a daily basis what we were going to do and what we were going to attempt. Then, but Sam uses storyboards as, as complicated as they are, as just a pre-planning tool because then the night before he shoots, he goes and through those boards and goes, how can I make this better? Which often equals more complicated. So he shows the concept <laughs> with, with new ideas on top of that. So that's always the, um, the surprise yeah. component in, uh, on Sam's shoots. Now, Sam has said in the past that when he was making Evil Dead, he was not particularly a horror fan that it was the best way to get into the industry to make a horror film. But obviously he knew or very quickly learned the tropes and invented tropes of his own in the horror genre. Was that the case? Were you guys horror fans to begin with? I, I think it's true about all three of us. Uh, we were uh, like Sam and this other guy, Scott Spiegel, who co-wrote Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Uh, we were big Three Stooges fans. I mean, we, we talked to Larry Fine on the phone at the old actor's home and we called him up. Wow. Yeah, like 1974. The guy was like, you know, 400 years old. Yeah. So it was always that. Sam also liked the uh, the Marx Brothers, that type of crazy, wacky humor. Uh, and, you know, Rob, I don't think horror was really your bag necessarily. No, pro probably more than the other two guys. I enjoyed horror. But um, we knew we were making a drive-in movie with Evil Dead. And after we made Evil Dead, in Sam's mind, in all of our minds, we were never going back to that. And um, it became <laughs> an escape hatch to um, revive yeah. our career after our second movie. And then, then it kind of stuck. And um, uh, 
as Bruce said in some interview I once read about uh, uh, the echoes of Ash followed him in his career, and it's same with <laughs> Sam and I. Uh, so uh, it's it's hard to to ultimately get away from it, and because all of us grew up with one goal in mind, and that was the audience. We ran the projectors wherever we were going. We wanted people to like what we did, and we needed to please them. And the great thing about horror is. Um, when it's working right, it's a great audience experience. So sneaking in and watching your movie with a, uh, a packed theater is a tremendous reward for all that effort, although... It's true. Uh, other than comedies, movie. horror is the only one that gets you viscerally. Yeah. Like that, you know? Yeah, yeah so comedy great. also gives you an obvious response. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in a very different way. But they they certainly share an audience and horror comedy we've talked about often how usually it's dire it's neither funny nor scary <laughs> however in the yeah. terms of the evil dead movies and especially in army of darkness i mean every gag it's relentless they build upon one another it's not just one after another it's one on top of another and it's bigger and grander and it's like what the fuck are they doing next and it's such a joyful i mean it's an 80 minute movie that just seems so as full as a movie can be (laughs) with cinema well it started with evil dead too because i think you know some people had fainted at evil dead and uh, there was a tree rape scene and People walked out. It was not, it wasn't a real laugh fest. And a lot of the laughs came from uncomfortable dialogue spoken by, you know, untrained actors. So there were a lot of uncomfortable laughs, but that wasn't really funny. I think the idea with Evil Dead 2, Scott Spiegel came to co-wrote it. And Scott Spiegel really should have just been a Max Sennett gag man, you know, in 1917. Uh, Because he just... we, Rob and I, we got him an office down the hall of an old dentist office of ours in Ferndale, Michigan. This building that always had extra offices for some reason. So we would randomly go, we need that one for a month. We want these guys to go right Evil Dead too. You guys get in there, spit out the pages and we'll put them in through our PC, IBM PC Junior and we'll spit them back to you. <laughs> Rob and I are sitting at one end of the hall and at the other end, Scott and Sam are writing. And I've never heard two guys laugh more in my life these guys were cackling and rob and i are like what are they writing down there i mean (laughs) these guys can't be serious is this a horror movie so it's that that's what sort of started it and i think sam i i only act to entertain sam he's my he's my audience of one and even if you cut your hand off with a chainsaw if you look over and he's kind of chuckling you're like okay i think I, i got him so it's just to make sam happy and Army of Darkness, he would he'd roll on a take, and right in the middle of a take, he'd give me a whole new paragraph to say. It's just that. So a lot of the dailies of Army of Darkness are me going, uh-huh. Uh-huh. You want me to what? What? Huh? Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, here we go. And then I'd try it again. And that was the fun of it. Because man, you I've worked with a lot of, you know, fancy writers and they don't want a word changed. You know, I, I would get uh, I'd get fired from some of these things where it has to be like word perfect. But Sam is like, he wants what he wants when he wants it at that time. And he's going to throw anything he wants to. He feels like he's got a right to do that. He's got the blueprint. We got the script. We learned the lines. Well, what else can we do? I'm bored. I'm bored with this scene, you know? <laughs> And, well, and it's, that's a, a, it, it's a great luxury because uh, he's one of the very few 
directors, writer, directors who is that free with their own material. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting about shooting comedy because the more takes you do, the less funny it gets and the less sure you are that you're getting it. And so how must that have felt? I mean, you're doing gag after gag after gag. And these are things that could not possibly be gotten on the first take because no. of the technical qualities that had to feed into it. So yeah. you were carrying a big load on your back. I was, but again, I think we were, we were kind of jazzed for it. We were jazzed that Universal was making this movie. This thing was going to get released instead of this piecemeal rolled out, you know, uh, one market at a time, bicycling prints around the country. This was like, we're going to get, this is, we're making a movie here. This, this was, I felt like it was our shot to actually emerge from that low budget exploitation trap where they, look, they used to make fun of the evil dead effects. You see the green garden hose, you know, <laughs> spewing the blood. Everyone thought that was so funny. The cheesy animation, you know, with the, the shifting mat, mats because they couldn't, you know, line up. Army of Darkness was the solution to that. I mean, we had pretty good animation, stop motion animation. We had two effects companies. Tony Gardner did all the evil ash stuff, and the K and B guys did everything else, which which was a ton, a ton of stuff. So, um, and I have to say, they were so great because yeah, they would go. We would be wrapping at five in the morning, and Sam would say, "For the next day, we want to do this." The guys would say, ah, "Maybe we got something in the shop. We'll go take a look." And they they work day and night to provide um, skeletons and body parts, yeah. and um, we got beyond mates' rates to make it all work. And so um, that was really, um, although we had worked with them well on Evil Dead Two, that cemented a long relationship with them. So. Yeah, I think I've worked with KNB more than any other makeup effects house, <laughs> and I've worked with with Tony and Alterian on a couple of movies as well, and. Uh, they will go to the ends of the mm. earth for you. You know, yeah. they'll spend money that you don't have within the shop to make you happy. Yeah. To make the yeah, movie right. work. And no, those guys totally were in this in the spirit of it. And I think part of another trick of making low budget movies with not as much money to get any more out of it is someone who comes in as a is a very good art director. You say, man, you have got production designer written all over you, man. <laughs> same rate, though, same rate as, a, you know, but look at that credit. So there were a lot of upgrades along the way. Yeah, I, I could tell there was a lot of non-union involved because of the way the, the um, credits rolled. There were no pre pre-film credits and the first one after <laughs> afterwards was the writing credit rather than directing credits so okay there are no guilds involved in <laughs> yeah right. wow that's true that's true but uh, rob you said it went it ballooned from eight million dollars to 13 million dollars tell me what was the original planned uh schedule how many days uh <sighs> Look, it's hard for me to remember where we really went because um, I don't have any of those documents. It, it certainly went well over. Where we really lost the plot was calling back horses and riders because those were still teamsters by any right. other name. And uh, that horse count, rider count, those nights were hundreds of thousands of dollars in in people and extras and horses and all that so that was the um and i actually think um 
we probably realistically, I think we went in at $11 million budget and it did go to 13. And um, we kicked in a fair amount of money out of, out of a, owning a territory. Um, so it was- Well, a, Rob, I think to get from eight to 11, we had to give up our contingency. That's right. We had, we had to be the contingency, right. which right. we plowed through by the end of the six weeks of night shooting. That's right, we did. So, um, um, yeah, I can't remember, but for going over budget, the, the kind of shocking thing, because I've gone over budget on other things, um, Dino really didn't give us that kind of grief. I was just, I was... Uh, the universal did more than him, way more than Yeah, him. and, uh, but they they were not all that, uh, all that, challenged by it. Dark Man had made them money. Uh, Pollock was once our lawyer. And um, so we're in a world of pain. Um, and what happened was we shot an ending that only played in a few territories of Bruce sleeping too long and waking up. But because <laughs> the movie was held in this limbo because of the fight between Universal- Oh, that and, became the foreign version. Yeah, and Dino and um, I was actually gone um, shooting hard target in New Orleans when Sam sent me some pages and said, oh, look, they've signed off on this. We're going to shoot a new ending. Universal wants a new ending for the movie, which is the one in the S-Mart that was later shot. I never, I didn't get the dailies. When I finally wrapped hard target and came back is when is the first time I saw the completed sequence of the uh, S smart because the, um, the happy ending, the happy <laughs> ending, yeah, and uh, which I still like best. Uh, I know there are some people overseas who like uh, that Ash slept too long, but personally, I, I love that S smart scene. So, oh, it's a great ending. It's it's really wonderful. The the, the, the damn you Planet of the Apes ending, I only <laughs> enjoyed just because he would forget the amount of drops that he was supposed to take, and it was. <laughs> It was an appropriate ending, and it actually would have set up a very cool movie after that, almost like a very Spartacus kind of deal. Right. With the end of the uh, the world being destroyed, finding pockets of civilization, and you know, um, I thought I thought it was interesting, but yeah, total bummer ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Bruce. You were talking about uh, special effects. I mean, this had every kind of visual effect there was. There was stop motion. There were yeah. full-sized, human-sized uh, skeleton body puppets. There were KNB makeups. There were all of these. There was front projection and miniatures and all these things. Yeah. It's hard enough to act on a set. But with all of these layers, tell me about how challenging that had to have been. Boy, you just had to you had to get used to the math. The math was you're in makeup anywhere from two to three hours. My regular makeup was an hour. I had so many cuts. Uh, Camille Calve was the makeup artist. She did a plastic template that was a mold of my face that had the predetermined slits in it to keep track of where the cuts were on my face. So that was an ingenious idea. She put it on put a little mark, 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 then she'd fill it all in. But just to make ash, ash and maintain them, you know, when you get dumped blood on you, you have to slowly continuity wise, make it go away to get dumped again. 
If you really stuck with real continuity, Ash would be gray after about 30 minutes of screen time, you know? So that was always tricky too, of like trying to dial back the gore between sequences to just calm it down and then hit him with another batch. So, you know, the, the early, um, I think the, the early makeup stuff, we didn't really realize how bad it was until a couple of movies later. Um, it was Kara syrup based blood. We bought out, I mean, we bought out all the Kara syrup in this little town, <laughs> very simple mixture. We mixed it in the bottle, but when it's on you, it's, it's syrup. You might as well just dump yourself with, pancake syrup and sit around all day and the flies would land on it. There's nothing you can do. You go to stretch your, the sleeve would rip the hair off your arm because it was attached because it would dry. And at the end of shooting on evil dead, I'd get in the back of our white rented pickup truck, which we wrecked uh, because of just being in these backwoods and dumping shit in there, driving back. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, as the sun's coming up, people going out to church because we were in the Bible belt looking like a serial killer in the back of the truck. I'm not going to sit in the truck. You get in the back of the truck. They'd open the back door of this house we're in, turn on the shower, and I would just go in with all my clothes on and let it heat and time was the only thing that was going to save you at that point. So um, just let it melt, take it off, wring it out, start again. Um, So the misery portion, it almost became almost second nature. Um, and then finally, Ash versus Evil Dead. My wife comes into my trailer and I'm sitting there with this dead stare and all the furniture is covered with plastic, just like Aunt Margaret would do, you know, because <laughs> so that none of me gets on shit. And she goes, you look like you're sitting in a poopy diaper. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're right. I am. I'm sitting in a poopy, I have poopy diaper syndrome. And so, it, you know, it, ta- it takes a toll after a while, but my theory is to this day still a movie that's easy to make is hard to watch. If you have time to sit around, crack jokes about all the fun stories you had as an actor, smoking cigars on set, the movie's going to suck. If you if you wish by the end of it, your mother never met your father, maybe it'll be a good movie. That Because, you know, we really did. Again, call Army of Darkness, whatever you want. And there's a lot of quirks to it, a lot of things that didn't quite work, but you know, we, we went for it. We went for it. And I think audiences know in their heart of heart, if you give a shit and if you actually gave it, you know, put me in the game coach, that, that was, we, we kept at it. And so these are the sort of the little movies that could, we, we have another one coming out April 21st. All right. Evil dead rise is coming. Yeah. Um, it's getting an actual theatrical, uh, which we're very delighted with. So, you know, we just keep chipping away and we really have a lot of gratitude it, it's it's the fans. I'm meeting next generation now. A father will, a son will tell me I never got along with my dad unless we were watching Army of Darkness. <laughs> you know, <laughs> another guy is like, hey, you know, this is my test for girlfriends. Like, I'm going to show them Army <laughs> of Darkness. And if they like it, I'll date them. And if they don't like it, we're, we're done. <laughs> and they're not even kidding. The girl's like, yeah, it was a test. I passed this stupid test. <laughs> and wore the T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Mick, I wanted to go back to something that Bruce said and you asked early, uh, said before. When we first started, as we were thinking about doing horror and we had done a couple of little tiny shorts as, in college, Sam was actually writing 
a movie that he said, oh, let's make this. And I kept saying, well, I'm not certain it could be complicated. And it was a battle with a uh, ball wrecker and a bulldozer and some other things. I said, Sam, we can't afford to do that. We looked into equipment and I said, no, let's just make a small horror film, blah, blah, blah. And Sam then came up with the idea for what was at that time Book of the Dead. But he had written this massive scene um, based on an, a movie from the 70s called Killdozer. Oh, but yeah. This was, this was, a, uh, this was a ball and record. That went away. And then I saw, what was it, uh, Spider-Man 3. Lo and behold, there's Dallas Bryce Howard with the ball and record. And that <laughs> scene had yep. been reimagined now he can do it now he can do it so uh so none yeah, of those never scenes... give up your ideas yeah that's never right that's right somewhere there's someday, someday i'm gonna use that gag <laughs> yeah. yeah and boy there were so many gags in this that had to have accumulated from pre evil dead times just the comedic things that happen in army of darkness are so off the wall i mean the little ashes oh tell me about the fake shimps well the three stooges did a they did a bunch of shorts uh 200 two reelers you know something like that an incredible amount and there was a fourth stooge well there there it was mo uh, Larry Curley. When right. Curley died, they brought in Shemp. Right. Shemp had come from vaudeville, blah, 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 blah. But they would make these movies at, at Columbia, and they were about to tear down like a high-budget castle set. And the students go, no, 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 quick. Uh, write something. They'd write a pie fight, and that they could shoot in this castle to make it look like their shorts had some money, you know? And so... They were always piecing shorts together. They never, they were never completed because they would, they stole every set that they could get their hands on, which <laughs> made perfect sense, right? So they always had to keep finishing this. Curly has a stroke. He was never a healthy guy. He's out of the picture. They bring Shemp in. Who was so his Shemp, brother? Yeah. Yeah, which is, yeah, they were brothers. Uh, Larry was the only outsider. So they bring in Shemp, who is my personal favorite because he's the ugliest human on the planet and he thinks he's really, you know, really suave. So they bring him in. They make a bunch of shirts. Shemp dies. Shemp has a heart attack, like in the back of a taxi. Now they got to finish about five or six of these shorts. So they got some random guy to come into the scene like this. And Mo would go, Shemp, guard the door. Right. And he would, they would just re-loop. And because we were budding filmmakers, we would go, oh, that's a fake chef. There's no way that that's chef. That's so bogus. And so they did this in about, I, I couldn't even tell you, Scott Spiegel could probably tell you the exact short where they used a fake chef. But it was probably about half a dozen of these. And so we thought it was funny to put that sort of thing randomly in our movie. So in Evil Dead, the original, we went past, we were supposed to shoot for six weeks. It became 12 weeks. The actors had to go. So we had someone come and play. Sam would play a hand reaching up toward a, a curtain rod. Uh, Ted, Ted Ramey, his younger brother's feet, it would just be feet walking on the floor. So those guys became, they would have credited that said fake chimps. Yeah. And it was anyone who didn't really, you never saw their face, but they were in it. And so that kind of became a credit that we would, 
dick around with over the years, different versions. Like in uh, in Dark Man, I am the final champ. Uh, in 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 Sam's movie Quick and the Dead, I'm the wedding champ. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm actually in the Quick and the Dead. I have awesome, and he's in my version of The Shining and The Stand. Wow, and he's a great wow. actor in those. Um, so every day had to be fun, but a nightmare for you, Bruce, because every day was challenging. Do you remember the scene? that drove you the most batty that that you had to go through but we're glad you did after the movie was done and you'd had your final shower <laughs> oh man i it just it, it really is the cumulative effect yeah um thankfully at the time you know of early 30s whatever the hell i was you know i was a pretty pretty square dude at that at that time uh i didn't really party or anything and so i got as much sleep as i could get you know um look bruce i had a tremendous respect for you on that because not only did you work all day and wear makeup then you had uh gym training because sam wanted you to look like schwarzenegger so you'd go off and work with your trainer and all that. Yeah, I mean, oh my God, I could never do that. Especially yeah, it was, um, it was what you thought you had to do um, at that time. Now, Mick, you'll appreciate this. So I'm in every scene, let's say, in the movie at some point. Yeah. Very little of that movie without me. Sometimes there's multiple me's. Um, so I'm a producer, right? So I just wave the force call. Force call, obviously, is if you bring an actor in earlier than 12 hours, the Screen Actors Guild punishes you for like, whatever, $950. Force call. Producers hate paying that. So I, I'm one of the producers. So we, I didn't collect 75 force calls. Uh -huh. Pretty magnanimous. In, in a 103-day shoot, 75 of those for me were force calls, meaning were not the turnaround that I needed. Years later, I go to do a CBS TV movie. CBS was owned by Viacom, right? Massive corporation. I'm doing a bank bank robbery TV movie, and I'm running around, and the producer knocks on my door. She goes, Yo, uh, Mr. Campbell, yeah, tomorrow we got to get an early start. We went a little later tonight. Uh, we'd like you to waive your forced call tomorrow, if that's okay. And I, I took everything in my power to not slam the door in her face. <laughs> and I told her that. I said, ma'am, you'll have to forgive me. I'm never waving a forced call again for the rest of my career. Those are all done. I gave those all up in 1991 on one project. So <laughs> you want to force me? Force me. It's going to cost you 950 bucks. <laughs> and you deserve it after yeah, that. Yeah, and I also have to this day zero, um, zero sympathy for any actor in any role. Uh, there's lots of difficult stuff out there. It's true. Uh, Ron Perlman and I, I think, are in the same kind of category, wearing a bunch of crazy makeup effects over the years. We we met one time in an event. We were both commiserating. I'm like, man, that 355. Oh, I hate that shit. Oh, yeah, it's not as bad as this. We were comparing horrible synthetics that were put on our face over the years. Yeah, I, I've put him in makeups myself. <laughs> I know yeah. what you mean. I try not to be cruel, but sometimes you just can't help. So... 25 years later, 
you come back to play Ash. Yeah. Ash versus the Evil Dead. Rob, you're involved in this. Yeah. What did that feel like after all that time to come into it as a more mature actor uh, with a huge list of credits under your belt? I mean, Briscoe County was a, a cult favorite TV show and something very Bruce Campbell. But here you come back to revisit Ash yeah, and, and it's got the same sensibility as yeah. the Evil Dead movies did. We, I wanted that. I, I, I don't know how Rob felt about the whole process. Um, I really wanted it to happen. I thought this was a, a, a great, great chance for all of us, all of us to take all of our experience. I can come back and do my version of George Lucas with Ash. As you go, I want to fix him. I want to, I want to round him out and give him strange quirks and, uh, you know, between all the showrunners now, I mean, we, he has a daughter, he has a father. And of course we snagged, in my opinion, the best Ash's father in the planet Lee majors to play my dad. <laughs> and then you find out retroactively, a lot of Ash's bad habits came from that guy, the bad language, the misogynistic shit. We could even talk about like mechanical hands, which I thought was fun <laughs> to talk about with Lee majors shooting that scene, talking about a mechanical hand. I went, this is why I became an actor, because every so often you could do shit like this. And so it was also a nice chance. Rob, you know this. They have the best effects guys in the business down there in New Zealand. Uh, and I say that with all due respect to all the crews everywhere, but they have great crews. And we got, you know, Rob, Rob, he knows where to cobble all the different people who train Herc, Xena, Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of talented people. And Rob got them all. And if you get the first the first bench in New Zealand, every single one of them, like I, I've never had better care for these the departments to make make my character look like it needed to. And the wardrobe would pioneer like um, rubber blood. It's shiny. It looked fantastic. And you go, oh, oh, I can touch myself. Oh my god, I wanted to kiss these women. You know, it's like just applying new stuff to the evil dead technology you know we we saw the stuff recently about the gunplay yeah on film sets and the, it still causes problems well we made an announcement early on rob there will yeah. be no ballistic material emanating from ash's gun for the for any of this this is going to be an interactive flash with a dead empty gun there was a guy who said who had great timing he that little orange flash he knew just when i was doing that you put in the digital flash as long as you want what what color do you want it what kind of smoke and we added a howitzer so you know first evil that i'm just taking a shotgun and just shooting a window out that you know <laughs> the 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 morphing from the original to now it was just nice to apply modern day film tricks to the old stuff and so that no one could make fun we have some really cool effects in those three seasons of the show i mean I, I i think we maxed out i don't know what else people they're, they're never satisfied we want season four season four yeah yeah you know we gave them uh basically whatever 15 hours of unrated material if, we, if they were features they would have all had to ha have an r rating yeah yeah don't be greedy out there <laughs> Right. We said after two seasons of Masters of Horror, people would complain. But what about a third or fourth? It's like, yeah. what if the third and fourth sucked? Yeah, you'll then, yeah, then you'll hate me for having seasons that suck. Exactly. So, Rob, 
as we look back 30 years to the release of this movie, what are the memories that are, are strongest for you when you think about revisiting Army of Darkness? Um, I have one very strong memory and it's not a pleasant one, but I'll share it. <laughs> it's the last time I got in a fist fight with somebody. Oh, wow, let's hear this. I got in a fist fight with the owners of Intravision. Oh, wow. and um, with Tom? A, yeah, with Tom and his son. And his son was on crutches. And we had gotten into a fight about money in some hallway. And the son kept taking the crutch and hitting me in the chest with it and pushing me back. Wow. Me back. And, and then he swung at me and I swung at him. And I saw Sam come out of a stage door, see this fight between me and this old man and his son, and Sam turned right around and go back in. <laughs> uh, about 10 seconds later, a guy, Eric Rundeman, who was the line producer on that, he would be accountant actually, he became a line producer on other things we were doing. He, um, he came running in and broke up this fight. So that is the uh, a memory. The rest of the memories I have, funnily enough, are just endless days of shooting and looking at at storyboards with little x's through them and think, thinking <laughs> oh thank god we don't have to revisit that and talking yeah. to john cameron the first ad uh no we're not going to get the day what's lunch <laughs> it was yeah. just every single day not making the day but um uh and then we worked with some technicians at intervision that they had brought in who were top of their class so um uh, I forget Pete's na last name, but he was also in a band at the time, but he was a stop motion expert. And so there were people there who were technicians. And that was the first time, even though Darkman had a lot of cool things about it, that's the first time we worked with really specialized people in. Yeah. Bill in Mesa, Rob? What? Bill Mesa or beyond? Yeah. Yeah. Bill, Bill Mesa. Mesa. Yeah. He was, yeah, I worked with him on Quicksilver Highway. He did the animated hands. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the guy I'm trying to think who was the stop motion animator who's now dead, he was with the Flying Burrito Brothers. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a guitarist for them. So um, so I had a lot of advance. Like if, if I'm on the set, usually there's a problem or I'm, or I'm hiding from something else. So I'm always kind of out in front. So I just remember endless conversations being ready for the what's coming the next day or two days with these technicians who were really at the end of an era before the world went digital. And um, in many ways, I relish all those, uh, Pete, 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 I just, uh, um, I relish all of those uh, memories with creative people who kind of knew that there was a change coming in the world, I think, um, Terminator had come. Uh, T2. Yeah, 92 was T2 and Sleepwalkers. We did some morphing in 92. So yeah. it was just starting it was there. Yeah. It was starting. So um, uh, so that was uh, when I look back at it. And um, the crazy happenings, watching the dailies and the footage coming together from what was probably my favorite scene in any of the Evil Dead was Ash and all the little ashes in the windmill. Yeah. That to me was, um, uh, uh, including the crazy camera pull that Bruce had talked about, uh, 
And I did fire, unfortunately, a lot of B camera operators. And it, um, <laughs> I, 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 got, I got my spiel down perfectly to those guys. Look, man, do not let a director tell you to set up a camera there without you getting the marks and getting a rehearsal. If you do that, you're going to end up fired. So I, yeah, I fired probably four or five B camera operators on that show. And uh, that was, that was not fun, but it um, made them all the wiser. And I know a couple of them have gone on and become DPs eventually. So. um, Well, and you were serving your director, which is your job. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So Bruce, the same question to you. What is the major memory that comes when you look back on Army of Darkness? What is the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, it's a lot of fun with an audience. Uh, I've done some one-man show stuff where it's uh, I do a live watch with. They do LED projection, and I can I got a clicker. I can pause it, so I can stop, tell the stories, and not miss anything. And because they've already seen the movie a hundred times, it's, I'm not really interrupt. I'm not wrecking anything for them. And and it 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 plays fresh. And most of the audiences now are not my age. They're all thirties, forties. Uh, it's great to see young people in the audience. And, and uh, but again, one of my lasting memories also like Rob's was not a pleasant one. I'm fighting a stunt guy, trying to do this Fred Astaire master that Sam wanted, flipping a stunt guy. And I had this breastplate and we just hit, hit it wrong. And his weight shoved my chin onto my breastplate and just blood started pouring out of it. Oh. And some, some crew guys like, hey, you're bleeding. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I am. So, so my chin had cut that. So Rob goes, get him to the emergency room. So he took me to the emergency room. I'm all in the full ash, full cake, <laughs> full everything. And 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 Rob had recommended if there's a surgeon, if this guy who does any kind of plastic surgery, we should we should ask for someone who might be around. In case, you know, you can't, but he's got to be pretty, right? He's an actor. So I go in there and I, I'm covered with cuts. And the guy that literally comes up and he goes, which one is it? <laughs> and I go, oh my God, you can't tell. So I thought, I'm, a, I'm like, yeah, I got to tell the makeup people that the doctor didn't know which was the real cut. Uh, I finally go, it's this one right over here. So he stitches me up. And if we were doing a soap opera, we would have really been a little concerned, like this half inch thing. We'd have to cover it up. It's all, you know, Army Darkness, it's just another fucking cut. You can't tell. <laughs> 10 cuts, 11 cuts. We didn't, we didn't miss, other than my emergency room stuff, we didn't miss any cutting. All right, get them back in there. Let's go. Well, that brings up a point that you do so many stunts that the SAG would not allow today for an actor to do. And, and it's obviously I, I, I pushed it. I, I pushed it because I felt that I could and I felt it would help the filmmaker have a little more latitude of how they shot it if they could see it's actually me. Um, but insurance companies will always draw the line. Uh, and that's what people don't realize. Tom Cruise to do what he has to do is most likely Rob getting his own insurance to be hanging off of airplanes? I don't and, know. Look, um, I mean, seriously, guys, who's insuring that crap? Tom Cruise, if he hurts himself, movie stops, it's down. So, I mean, I, I'm Briscoe, this Western. I really wanted to ride a horse through a plate glass window. They prepped it with paper, they did it with cellophane. You know, the, the horse was ready. I wanted to do it. And they said, you can do it. But if you get hurt, you're not covered. And I went, well, we can't, we can't shut this thing down. So I'm very happy, very grateful to the litany of stunt guys. 
uh, we've had over the years, and I've been very happy to let them earn their money more and more each year. Ash versus Evil Dead, we got this guy, and I mentioned him by name, Raisho Vezilev, who I use as a stunt coordinator on the classic Man with a Screaming Brain in Bulgaria oh, yeah. 10 years before. I go, well, I'll never see that guy again. He's a nice enough guy. Come to, come to New Zealand, he's been working on Spartacus as a stunt guy. So he winds up being this fantastic double, and I'll be done shooting, and I'm going across the set. The opposite part of the stage, I hear, three, two, some ratchet and him getting smashed into a wall and then i would see him like limping off the set and i would go hey right show how you doing man he'd go fuck this shit boss and it's like he always called me boss so i thought that was good and and uh so yeah i tried to do what i could but obviously when you know a show comes around a few years ago i'm not i'm not that guy anymore so i'm very pleased to have very qualified stunt guys who can get in there and, and make it work. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for joining us to celebrate a movie that really deserves celebration. And 30 years, you know, 30 having, years, Rob. Having seen it just today, 30 years after seeing it in the theater was such right. a great experience. And I can't recommend everybody buying, watching it uh, again. It is non-stop entertainment of the most imaginative kind and you guys the team that you have is phenomenal and brings so much great joy and entertainment to us and thanks for bringing it to the slab on postmortem oh thank you mick appreciate it thanks mick thank you for listening to postmortem with mick garris Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.